following is a presentation of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. Boy, there's there's so many so many challenges with this topic, aren't there? Um, you know, wanting always to be to be sensitive, but to still be provocative. Um, you know, I, I, some of you who, who are friends with me on Facebook saw that after the first week of this series, after that sermon that I gave to kick this whole thing off, I, I just kept, like, I, I posted something about how I had just, it was kept going through my head again and again and again, and things that I wish I'd said more about or said differently. And, uh, you know, this is, it, the, the, this topic is so important and so um, evocative, and in some cases so painful that it's, it is absolutely easier not to talk about it. It is absolutely easier never to sing a song like that that makes us ask the question, are we even allowed to say these words? Um, but we are not taking the easy way out. We started uh, in week one with a theoretical statement, uh, something that I think is a theological truth, Something that I suspect we all believe, but that sometimes we have trouble living out. Because what we see is that even though we believe this truth, we observe that it is not actually 100% true of our time. And so that makes us worry and doubt and wonder with the uh, great saint of the R&B music world, Marvin Gaye, what's going on? And the statement is this. That it has always been God's plan for people of all cultures, races, and ethnicities to live together in harmony. I'll say that again. This is, the, this is the theoretical statement, the theological truth that undergirds everything that we've talked about. That it has always been God's plan for people of all cultures, all races, all ethnicities to live together in harmony. And... Uh, in that first week, I, I gave you a quick snapshot of Scripture from the story of creation to Abraham's call to the Mosaic laws to the way the leadership worked out in the early church and perhaps most vividly to the book of Revelation and its picture of how things will be at the end when people from every nation, all tribes and all peoples and all languages will be standing before the throne of the, God, of, of, of the Lamb waving branches and singing praises to God together. I won't go through that list any more uh, specifically or in more detail than I've just done. Suffice it to say that I think that this is the story that Scripture has told. Throughout the Bible, we see that it has always been God's plan for people of all cultures and races and ethnicities to live together in harmony, to worship Him together. That's how He designed it in the beginning. That's how it will be in the end. But... Where do we live in that story? As with so many of the longings we experience in life, the pain of this issue comes from the fact that we live in the middle. We live after the fall, so post-Eden, post-paradise, and pre-paradise. We live in the middle. And that's where the ambassadors of reconciliation phrase comes from. It comes from uh, a biblical text that is from the middle. 2 Corinthians 5, 16 through 21. Uh, I, I'm not going to read this whole passage again. I want to get 
into the, the stuff for today, which is sort of what have, we, what have we learned from all this? But this passage has been our key uh, passage, and this particular verse, verse 20, is, is where our title comes from. It says, we are ambassadors for Christ, since God is making a, his appeal through us. That's really a pretty amazing idea if you think about it. And you find it all throughout Scripture, actually, that God would make his appeal. He would draw people to himself through us, through what we do and what we say. God's work in human history is not detached from humanity. We are participants in bringing about the kingdom of God. We talk about that a lot at Artisan, but I want it to be so, so clear during this series. We are ambassadors for Christ. We have received reconciliation. It has been extended to us. God has pulled us into himself in reconciliation. It is our job and our responsibility then, and our privilege, to extend that reconciliation to our brothers and sisters, to other members of the human race. It's a tremendous gift and an enormous responsibility because, see, failing to do it is sin. It is a disobedience to God's call. If you are not working toward reconciliation, you are falling short of what God desires for the world and for you. There is no prettier word for that than sin. Maybe even more damaging, though, than that sin of omission. Uh, it's one of those, from that prayer, the things that we have left undone more often than not. In our case, it's more often that we've left something undone than that we've done something. But m- more damaging, I think, perhaps, than that, that sin of omission is the fact that what causes it, what it indicates, is a lack of faith, a lack of trust, that God's designs for the world are worth fighting for. A lack of belief that we are actually part of the solution, or can be, or supposed to be. That's the tension that I see in myself. This is one of those cases where, you know, if I'm pointing one finger at you, I'm pointing three back at myself, right? That's what I see in myself. Not just the sin of omission, but the lack of faith that this, this theological truth is actually true. A failure to trust that God wants to bring it about, or that, that he can, or something. There's something missing there. And that's why we did this series. Because we needed to spend some time engaging this idea of racial reconciliation. Considering it from a different angle than than maybe would be our default way of considering things. And so we went into this series with three goals in mind. You probably remember we wanted to listen, we wanted to learn, and we want to act. So we've spent some time listening. In week one, we listened to, to the call of Scripture. In week two, we listened to George and Wallace and Rob from Northeast Area Development. How many were here on week two for our panel discussion? Um, I had at least one person leave the sanctuary that day saying, thank you for arranging this. This is the best 
sermon I've ever heard. <laughs> and it was like, well, no, no, I mean, yours are good. But this was amazing. <laughs> and I thought, I said, you don't need to apologize because it's absolutely true. That was, there was no way I could ever have preached anything that would have communicated what those guys were able to communicate from their actual on-the-ground work in our city and their actual personal experience, which they were so kind and uh, brave, honestly, to, to share with us. And the last week, in week three, we listened to Pastor Marlo Washington from Christ Community Church of Rochester. How many were here last week for Pastor Marlo's sermon? My wife leaned over to me in the middle and said, you should have him back because otherwise everybody's going to want to go to his church. <laughs> um, and then she apologized later. She's like, I didn't mean to hurt your feelings. The damage had been done. <laughs> Pastor Marlo's sermon was great. So much energy and power in that voice. So much perspective that we just don't have the ability, I don't have the ability to bring to you. So we've spent some time listening, and what I want to spend a few minutes today doing is talking together and thinking together about what we have learned in all that listening. Listen, learn, and then act will not happen today, but we're going we're gonna to get to that one too. Today we're, we're talking about what we've learned. And I certainly have some thoughts of my own, um, but I think it's important that we engage this topic uh, and process it as a community. You know, um, I, I don't want to um, um, hog all the, uh, all the expression of what we've learned, right? Because you probably learned a lot of things that I didn't pick up on. And so um, what I'd like to do is, is ask you this question and have you give out some answers here. Um, while you were listening these last few weeks to Scripture and to the panel discussion and to Pastor Marlowe, what inspired you? What challenged you? What made you go, I don't know about that. What made you go, Ooh, wow, that's, that one hit me. Um, and I'd like to have as many people as possible be able to, to respond to this question. And so I'd like to try it this way. Take a deep breath. Before you share, say what you can say with that one breath, and then stop. <laughs> if you need an emergency breath, that's okay. The point is, Doug, Doug taught this, tried this with a, a prayer exercise we did at, some, at an event a couple weeks ago. I thought it worked really well. So in one breath, plus an emergency one if you need it, what is something that you learned in listening the past few weeks here at, at Artisan? Okay, I'm not the only one who thinks about this stuff. Thank you. Shout it right out. Ah, yeah. We've lost ground since I was a kid. Somebody suggested that that was the case. That was like, which decade? Like the 70s? Reconstruction. <laughs> Reconstruction. <laughs> Oh, the dream of the 1860s is it? <laughs> is alive in Portland, right? What else did we learn? Or made us go, huh? Yeah, I have no idea how to bridge that separation that Marlo talked about last week. Interesting. Yes. 
Yeah. Cool. I think you took an emergency breath. <laughs> but um, yes, um, thinking about the, the, the racial riots in 64 in Rochester, which um, not everybody in the room even knew had ever happened, um, but thinking about those uh, and hearing about them from people who were there, who were part of it. Yeah. Yes. Ah, yeah, yeah, I learned to not forget that there is good in the hood. That's what Marlowe's title last week was, There is Good in the Hood. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, um, you're referring to, to what George called poverty pimping. <laughs> Which was, I mean, how provocative a, pra- a phrase is that? But uh, about how the... Uh, some of the charities that go into, into poor neighborhoods, they're, uh, well, I don't know how better to say it. <laughs> they're pimping. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So we don't have to feel overwhelmed by the totality of, the, of everything that's going on and all the problems. Uh, he encouraged us, George encouraged us to, to focus on our neighborhood. Just like if, if everybody took care of their own neighborhood, imagine what that would be. That's a, that's a, great, a great memory. How about intellectual slavery? Did anybody remember the phrase intellectual slavery? Rob was talking about how the biggest problem is a lack of education and how undereducated kids are essentially enslaved by that. That's it. I wrote that one down too. Intellectual slavery. Yeah. There's only one heaven. Yeah. Yeah. Not a black heaven and a white heaven. Not a Hispanic heaven and an Asian heaven. One heaven. Yeah. What else did we learn? What else challenged us or inspired us? Mm. Yep. Relationships matter more than just coming in to do a one or two off charitable endeavor. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, Mr. Interesting. So it inspired Esther to talk to her parents and grandparents uh, about these issues and their experience of them uh, from prior generations and, and what brought her to, to the place that she's in. Yeah. Go ahead, Joel. Wow. Wow. So, the, so some other interface leaders 
got together the week after this and they'd all listened to the podcast of the panel discussion and it inspired a great, great conversation about spirituality and researchers. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. God is not mentioned too often in, in the ivory tower, right? Not that you're in the ivory tower. I don't mean to... Yeah. You kind of are, but... <laughs> Just kidding. And Brian... Mm. Yeah, the passive state of racism in today's culture as compared to 50 years ago. Right. Right. Um, Pastor Marlowe talked about how, how his son had to, he had to carry ID with him, or has to carry ID with him at all times, walking through Brighton. Because otherwise he will be accosted and questioned possibly detained. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I mean, that's a terrifying thought to, to have, you know, if he's being detained and he's reaching for his ID, to have somebody think that he's reaching for a weapon. Right. And what the, the, uh, the passive racism that, that results in his being questioned might explode at that point into something much, much worse than a stop and frisk. Yeah. Yeah, so the story that I told about the imaginary person in the car with the tinted windows, you said you felt indicted by the fact that you you knew the the ethnicity of that person. Right, you knew what it likely wasn't. Yeah, yeah. Yes, Jenny. Hmm. So Jenny's a person of action, somebody uh, who wants to, to be involved in this issue, is passionate and wants to take steps. Um, the realization during this series that any action that she takes would, would likely fail and would eventually fail if it wasn't rooted in prayer. That was a pretty convicting thing, right? When my phone blew up on the second week with the, the questions, and, and I apologize to the two or three of you who asked a question that wasn't, what do we do next? Because I didn't, I didn't ask that question of the panel because so many other people did ask that. And um, when they said, how about you pray? <laughs> I was kind of like, okay. Yes, that's a good idea. <laughs> this is great. What, what else have we learned? Yes, Jesse. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, so that video from the, the first week of the woman talking about privilege, white privilege in the grocery store and, and how a simple action of just pointing something out can, can make, a, make a big difference and can defuse a situation. Um, by the way, a corollary to that is something that Louis C.K. says. If, if anybody ever makes a racist or sexist joke, 
the, uh, the best way to handle that is to totally deadpan and say, I don't understand. Can you please explain that? And then let... The <laughs> That's the more cynical approach. I, I think the woman in the video was much kinder about it, but I thought, I'm going to do that. <laughs> I'm totally going to do that. Did you have something else, Sue? I thought I, thought I saw your hand. Yeah, um, that, that concept of white privilege, what I, I, that's one of the things I wished I'd had more time to talk about in the first week because it's such a provocative phrase to use, white privilege. But the story that Pastor Marlowe told about his son not being able to walk through Brighton, how many of you would have trouble walking through Brighton without an ID? Had it ever crossed your mind, I'd better bring my ID with me if I'm going to go walk in Highland Park? Has anybody ever thought anything like that? The fact that he has to think that every time that's, an indica- that's indicative of a privilege that you and I have that little Marlowe, as, uh, as his dad called him, does not have. And, yeah. Hmm. Sure, okay. Yeah. Right. So in certain parts of the city, that, that is more likely that a, a, a white person could be stopped without really any probable cause. But, um, yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a data point worth considering. I don't think it negates, however, the, the, the reality of the, of the idea of privilege, um, which makes itself known in a lot of other ways. I mean, the, the, the writing checks at the grocery store is a thing. There's a wonderful article on the Internet. If you go look up unpacking the knapsack of white privilege. It's a long article, but even if you don't want to read the long article, just skip to the end. There's 50 indicators of, of white privilege. And um, it's written by a white woman, um, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, I read the article and I was like, oh man, this is, this is pretty crazy to think through that. So I understand that that, that topic is fraught. That's a maybe like one of the most challenging subtopics in this very challenging meta-topic. But it's something that we have to deal with. We really, really do have to deal with it. And, and uh, if you don't want to use that phrase, that's okay. But you have to acknowledge the, the problems that cause that reality. So um, I, I wish that we had uh, a two-hour service this morning so I could give an extra you know, half an hour to, to hearing more of your stories uh, of what we learned I don't want to tell you about the things that I think were most important to me and, and how I would like to kind of begin to steer us toward that third part of our goals, that third goal, um, to act. Some of you said the things that, that I think also resonated most with me. The, uh, the poverty pimping was a big one. Um, the, uh, the idea uh, of privilege in Marlowe's son. The education stuff. The fact that uh, some of the knee-jerk reactions we'd want to do probably aren't the most helpful thing. One thing that, we, that nobody mentioned was um, one of the panelists, and I, I think it might have been Rob, but I, I don't remember for sure. He basically said, if you have a question, just ask. Like, if you have a question about race or racism, just ask us. And I think that's 
that, that contains, that's a little, little tiny thing, but it contains a key that I think needs to, that unlocks a door that I think we need to open, which is that conversations actually matter. And that the, um, the kind of uh, mutual disclosure and intimacy that happens in conversations and is very risky and sometimes very painful actually is, is so important to, to knocking down these walls. Um, and of course, the prayer thing. I think the number one lesson that I have from, from this series is, is uh, and I don't remember who said it, that relationships matter. Who was it that remembered, reminded us about the relationships thing? Yes, it was Chris. Thank you, Chris. Um, boy, whatever kind of subtle, insidious prejudices each of us might hold become a lot more difficult to hang on to when there is somebody sitting across the table from us who we can now call a friend who would otherwise be the subject of those prejudices. So I don't know what the big final answer is here, but I am pretty sure that the most important thing we can do is build relationships with people who are different from us. That goes for all kinds of other areas of life, by the way. But as we're thinking about faith and race in our city, how those things intertwine with each other, if we're not building relationships across these, these what are, are actually dividing lines culturally and ethnically and racially, then, then we're, we're not going to have any success at all. So much of what happened in the last two weeks was the product of relationships that had formed. Joel had formed relationships with George and Rob and Wallace. Without that relationship, they wouldn't have been here to speak with us. We wouldn't have heard from them. The, the relationship with uh, Pastor Marla was the result of, of Shane meeting him at a, a panel discussion during the uh, campaign for city council when he was running. Without that relationship, Pastor Marla wouldn't have been here. And that relationship has deepened since then, by the way. Shane and I have gotten together for breakfast a couple of times with Pastor Marlowe and uh, Deacon John, who was here on Sunday last week, but he didn't, he didn't do anything up front, so you may not have seen him or met him. Those relationships were the source of these, these uh, great experiences we had the last two weeks. We do the work of Jesus when we are present with people and when we allow them to be present with us. That second part sort of removes the... the I think it makes it sort of impossible to do the poverty pimping thing. If you're truly allowing somebody else to be present with you and to change you by their presence, then, then I think that that solves the problem. The immediate one. And then it can grow. So... I think relationships are where it's at. You look at the ministry of Jesus. How much better an example can you get than God being made human flesh and moving into our neighborhood and living with and among us? That's why I say building relationships is doing the work of Jesus. So here's what I think um, next steps might, might make sense. Um, and uh, we'll, we'll collaborate on this. Again, I don't want to be the one that's the only one steering this ship. We are 
definitely going to go visit Christ Community Church. Pastor Marlowe came and preached last week, brought some of his members and musicians. We're going to go visit them. The date is not set yet, but we're going to go visit them, and we're going to bring some of our musicians and members, and uh, that's going to be awesome. So I will keep you posted. As soon as that date is nailed down, I'll let you know. And that's, what that's going to mean is that it's going to probably mess up our morning service, but I don't care. Because right? we meet at 10, and they meet at 11, and, you know, whatever. We'll work that out, okay? So we're definitely going to do that. We are also underway collaborating with uh, another predominantly non-white congregation, the, the one right down, uh, I think it's this way, right? Um, Baber AME Church on Megs and... Broadway, thank you, thank you. Um, so we've talked with some of their members and their pastor, and we're going to build collaboration there as well. We're going to do some, uh, some joint service projects together as a community, and we're going to try to do some meals together with these other communities. Because don't we know how powerful food is in our lives? Um, and I mean that in the best of ways, how powerful it is to literally to break bread with somebody, to share a meal together. Man, when you are sharing the same loaf of bread, when you are sharing the same delicious pie, when you are sharing the same pot roast or whatever it might be, boy, it's really hard to hold on to those prejudices. So we're going to eat together. I don't know how or when, but we are going to eat together. You mark my words. And then I, I really do think that the next big step for us needs to be a prayer meeting where we pray together as a congregation about this issue. And so I am tentatively thinking about um, the Wednesday after Thanksgiving, which would be December 4th. Um, I, you know, if, if I were to do, schedule something on a night like Wednesday, December 4th, show of hands, prayer meeting, who would, who would try to be there? All right. I have written down all your names in my mind. <laughs> I know that that night may not be perfect for everybody, so... It, Let's, let's have that conversation. But I think before we, before we try to make a list of all the things we're going to do to save the world, we need to do what Wallace and Robert and George recommended, which is maybe, maybe pray and ask God to show you what you should do next. Right? What a novel idea. <laughs> all right. Uh, I want to pray this responsive prayer together, and I apologize we're over time, but we had so many awesome things to do today um, that, I, that we're over time. That's life. Um, I will read the parts uh, in regular text, and if you could read the italicized, bolded part, and then the, the last phrase on the last slide, we will pray all together. Let's pray this prayer, and while we're doing it, can um, the band come up, because we're going to transition right into communion following that. Okay, let's pray together. Across the barriers that divide race from race. Across the barriers that divide rich from poor. Across the barriers that divide Christians. Across the barriers that divide men and women, young and old. Confront us, O Christ, with the hidden prejudices and fears that deny and betray our prayers. Teach us to grow in unity with all of God's children. Amen. All the people said. All right. Uh, Communion is open. Um, Feel free to take and receive the body and blood of Christ.
And uh, the waters of baptism are here as well. If you'd like to touch that and remember your own baptism, um, it is, uh, I think, relatively sterile because there's some bleach in there. <laughs> um, but uh, the sacraments of baptism and communion are re- represented here. We'll continue to worship God. Please go retrieve your children, and uh, we'll sing a couple more songs together and then, then go home. The table's open. For more information, visit us at artisanchurch.com.